We return this morning for the fourth time to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. The first time I preached through the book of Matthew verse by verse was back in Cass City, back in the 1970s. I preached this section in one sermon. I preached this same book of Matthew verse by verse in Iowa. I preached Matthew 1 through 17 in two sermons. And now here I am with you, and we've returned to the book of Matthew by way of verse-by-verse study, beginning in this month of June. And it is the last Sunday in June, and we are still in the same text. This is the fourth week in this wonderful genealogy of Jesus Christ. Only wonderful, though, if you think through it. If you don't think through it, well, then it just kind of reads you like, who would care about that? Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judas and his brethren. And Judas begot Phares, and Zerah of Thamar, and Phares begot Esram, and Esram begot Aram. And Aram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Neason, and Neason begot Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah's. And Solomon begat Roboam, and Roboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa. And Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Joatham, and Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, we know him as Hezekiah, and Ezekias begat Manassas, and Manassas begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias, we know him as Josiah, and Josiah begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time that they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiud, and Abiud begat Elikim, and Elikim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadak, and Sadak begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliud, and Eliud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Matin, and Matin begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus, who is called Messiah, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Father, we return to this amazing section of record concerning the right of Jesus to the throne legally by way of his stepdad, Joseph, uh, bloodwise by nature of his connection to Mary. But we thank you for the unique way in which Matthew drives our minds to think about that which would be particularly of interest to a Jewish person interested in the Jewish Messiah. But as we know, 
this record of genealogy before us uniquely and wonderfully demonstrates how the plan, your plan, was always to include the nations, the Gentiles, so that there would be people of every tribe and tongue and nation that would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And many of those people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ are here today, right here today. And we come praying with the thought of blessing your people. We come praying based upon the ministry of the Spirit of God to draw upon the heart of anyone among us that does not know Christ in a personal way, that today might be their day. Thank you for the occasion. Help us as we study the text again this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. When Sherry and I went a few years ago to get that security star on our Michigan driver's license, we had a problem with Sherry's birth certificate. Over the years, the original certificate that had made its way from Michigan to Florida, from Florida to Michigan, from Michigan to Iowa, from Iowa to Ohio, from Ohio back to Michigan, somehow over the years, the little filing number on the top of that uh, piece of paper was nearly worn off. You could still read it. I should say we could still read it, but the Secretary of State officer ruled it was inadequate for use. We had to take an extra step in the process, and uh, we had to get a copy of Sherry's birth certificate before we could get that little star placed on our Michigan identification and driver's license, that security star so that we could fly and go see our family without being hassled. It's still a hassle to fly, by the way, but nonetheless, we got the star. There are times in life when proving who you are take front and center. There were three occasions in ancient Jewish life when proving your family status, when proving who you are, your identity, were front and center. The first had to do with property. All property in ancient Israel was possessed along tribal designations going all the way back to Joshua and the days of conquest. Real estate in ancient Israel required accurate records of family genealogy in order to maintain property integrity. Genealogy was the way that property was dealt with back in the Lord's day. Secondly, all the men that were assigned to priestly duty were expected to possess priestly pedigree. Only the tribe of Levi was identified by God for priestly service. And only the tribe of Levi was purposely left out of Israeli land distribution as they were given instead cities throughout the land so that the priests could come from all over the nation in service to the Lord. 
But in order to serve as a Jewish priest, a man had to prove his descent from Levi. Genealogy was the way that that need was indeed met. And then the third thing that we can mention is that if a man were to be proclaimed uh, the king of the Jews, he must prove that he came from the royal family of David. And of course, that is exactly what Matthew is setting forth to do in the opening of his gospel account, his good news account concerning Jesus Christ, is to meet that genealogical need that would rest in the mind of every Jewish person, to be sure, concerning the right of the Lord Jesus to be recognized as Messiah, or if you will, the King of the Jews. Heretofore, we have worked with this royal genealogy to connect it to the two great men named at the first, Abraham and David, to whom God made direct promise. The reason that Abraham and David were named is because those are two men in the Old Testament era to whom God made direct promise. God made promise to Abraham of a land and a lad. God made promise to King David of a son to sit on a forever throne. Matthew helps us to see Abraham's lad promise is fulfilled in the Lord. Matthew helps us to see that David's son promise is fulfilled in our Savior. We also saw from the record of this genealogy uh, the amazing grace of God as displayed uh, in the genealogy, including four women that are named in the lineage of Christ, women who are associated with paganism, perversion, and adultery. Gentile women, to be named at all, would be rather rare, but to be named and emphasized seems to be counterintuitive. Nonetheless, Gentile women are included in the listing of the lineage of the Jewish king so that Gentiles might also glorify God for his mercy. Why should you care who the Jewish king is? Why should I care who the Jewish king is when the vast majority of us here aren't Jewish? Well, the reason we should care is that God uses the channel of Judah. He uses the Jewish people and the tribe of Judah to narrow our prospects so that we can identify who it is that is the king of the Jews and the savior of the world. We know our Savior as to his identity correctly, in part because of a genealogy just like this. Then last week, we returned to the genealogy for the third time and looked at Matthew's selective list of good kings and bad kings, and at least very, one very helpful uh, ruler in the post-exilic period. We saw Matthew's genealogy renders the legal right to the Jewish throne through Joseph. And we know that our Lord's blood right came uh, through uh, uh, the woman of whom Jesus was born, Mary. And of course, in circumvention of the divine curse that was placed upon Coniah, as named uh, Jeconias in uh, our text in Matthew chapter 1. Now today we're wrapping up our consideration of Matthew's genealogy, which is used and set up 
uh, to, uh, I should say, is used to set up the, the record of the Lord's birth uh, as it has begun to be told at verse 18. Uh, we've been saying all along uh, that the genealogy is selected and carefully edited uh, for presentation. Uh, verse 17, uh, which is the end of the genealogy and the summary of it, gives us three divisions of 14 generations leading up to Jesus the Christ. These three divisions reflect three eras of Old Testament biblical history, promise, and prophecy. Era number one runs Abraham to David. Era number two runs David to the exile, the booting of the nation of Israel out of their own land because of their unfaithfulness to God. And then period number three runs from the exile to the birth of Christ, Jesus, who is called uh, the Christ. Now, I want to give you a little bit of an outline that will be helpful not only today, but helpful next week uh, when we return to this general section, but pick up at verse 18, and that is to characterize these three periods or these three eras in biblical history in a way so that uh, uh, you and I can quickly grab a hold of Matthew's intention for us when he says, verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away of Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away onto, into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Three eras. Here's what I call them. Number one, the era of favor expressed. The era of favor expressed. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. The generations running from Abraham to David, I'm calling the era of favor expressed. That is when God expressed his favor towards Abraham and towards David. And the only word that I would add to that is undeserved. In the period of favor expressed, God promised Abraham. God promised David. And neither David nor Abraham deserve such a promise. Favor expressed, and I add the word undeserved. The next period, from David until the carrying away into Babylon, are 14 generations. I call period number two, or era number two, faithfulness demonstrated. Faithfulness demonstrated. <laughs> and if you know anything about that period, you would say to me, well, Pastor, did you read anything in the Bible concerning that period? from after David died until they were booted out of Israel? If anything, oh, pastor, it's a period of ungodly, unfaithfulness on man's part over and over and over again. Yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. I didn't have a mental glitch when I was putting this thing together. I, I had a thought, and I think it's the right thought. And that is that period in which certainly we could spend our time talking about the dog-eat-dog -dog world and the sinfulness of man is a period in which again and again and again 
there is one who is ever faithful as demonstrated even in an ugly, sinful period such as that second era. And that would be our faithful God. Man fails, but God is faithful. Boy, that's a good thing to know. Let me just show you quickly uh, a little bit of a side. We got maybe not enough time, but we'll take the time. Let's uh, just a little bit of a side so you can see that as to what I'm talking about. Second Kings uh, chapter 8 would be a good illustration, and just an illustration. The pattern happens over and over and over again in that second era that is marked by the demonstration of faithfulness on God's part. God is faithful. God is truly faithful. And again and again and again. And yet, uh, certainly in the period, if we were to talk about people, they were anything but faithful. And that's why they were booted out of the land. You have uh, something of, the, of that pattern uh, in a brief sense. In 2 Kings chapter uh, 8, verse 16, and in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, you know, Ahab was a stinker. And in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, being the king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Israel, or in Jerusalem. So uh, he started 32, he's done it 40. 18, and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Oh, yeah, of course he did. The sinner continued to sin. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, as did the house of Ahab. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, and again, and again, and again, and again, in the biblical record, especially in this second era of kingly service after David's gone, the kings do evil in the sight of the Lord. They worship gods, not the one true God of heaven and earth, as we read of him this morning in the doctrinal summary of our Articles of Faith. And this guy... This particular king uh, is uh, married to Ahab's daughter. So, I mean, the whole family is, like, corrupt in regards to their focus and their light perspective and the things that they do. And the commentary that you read again and again and again and again and again in the Old Testament record is the commentary of the last phrase of verse 18, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Look at the next word of the next verse. Yet. Yet. The Lord would not destroy Judah for David his servant's sake. David was long gone, dead, many years at this time. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for David his servant's sake as he promised him to give him always a light and to his children. Now you know the name of that light. You know the name of the light. 
that was given to Jesus. I mean, it was given to David, and you know it to be Jesus. But you see how God faithfully keeps his promise demonstrated even in the period of horrendous, sinful unfaithfulness again and again and again and again. Go back to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 17 as to the third element of, of engagement, and I'm just giving you the outline. I really am not preaching that outline really until next week, but nonetheless, I'm giving it to you today. Uh, the third little prong there, verse 17, runs from the carrying away into Babylon, that's called exile, unto the presentation of Messiah, 14 generations. And I call that era fulfillment begun. Fulfillment begun begun. So there are three periods in summary as identified by Matthew. Each of those periods tell us something specifically about God. Period number one reminds us of God's favor expressed though undeserved. Period number two reminds us of God's faithfulness demonstrated in the face of unfaithfulness. And period number three represents the fulfillment of God's favor as promise begun in fulfillment as centered in the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew omits some of the kings listed from the Old Testament period and he also includes some names of men that are not found in the Old Testament record, but trace in registers of family genealogy that were available at the time of Christ. Again, God's promise or God's favor, followed by God's faithfulness to that promise, even in the face of unfaithfulness, and then God's beginning act to fulfill. John Welford, in his excellent overview of the book of Matthew, says this of the genealogy. Taken as a whole, genealogies support the conclusion that Christ is the genuine son of David and Abraham through Mary, a king with right to rule, with his legal title through Joseph and his deity supported by his supernatural conception without a human father, end quote. There is a historical fact that makes uh, this particular uh, genealogical record particularly interesting as we look at it in our scriptures here today. Uh, the historical fact uh, is that uh, this genealogical record and the genealogical record of Luke's gospel uh, were uniquely preserved by God, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, at a time that uh, genealogical records were uh, out of hand being destroyed. Uh, at the time of the birth of Jesus, the ruler over Jerusalem and Judea was none other than Herod the Great. Now, as you study the life of Herod the Great, you would say, I would say, not so great. I would call him Herod the Not-So-Great. But nonetheless, in the opinion of men, he is Herod the Great. 
And Herod the Great ruled as appointed by Rome uh, over this territory and was popularistically known as the King of the Jews. But since he did not possess genealogical right to be on the Jewish throne and was indeed in his own lifetime held in contempt by the most of Jewish people in that day, Herod set forth an order that caused, listen, Herod set forth an order that caused all the genealogical records of the Jewish people to be destroyed. How many ancient genealogical records do we have leading us up to uh, Jesus Christ? Answer, the two in the Bible. That's it. Jesus called the Christ was and is the last man on earth able to demonstrate his right to the Jewish throne by way of human genealogy. And so by three errors of errors I should say of biblical history and two men of biblical honor Abraham and David, we are led to one messianic king, deserving to be hallowed as both God and man. Now, lest we think that uh, uh, this genealogy is just uh, 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 rendering some lame perspective, uh, that is a, a boring list of, uh, of begots, I want to remind you of two additional practical benefits that come from the reality of a section in the Word of God such as this. Not only do we see the record that shows and demonstrates Christ's kingly office, both legally and bloodline, legally through Joseph, bloodline through Mary, Matthew 1, Luke 2, but we also uh, understand that nobody else can do what's been done here because the genealogical records on the, of the public nature were all by and large destroyed. And by the way, <laughs> it's going to take really somebody special uh, to uh, deal with the aspect of uh, the nation of Israel in days future, uh, when once again property is assigned based upon tribal designations, uh, when priests operate once again by nature of their relationship to the tribe of Levi, and uh, when indeed uh, there will be a Jewish king sitting on the actual throne here uh, on this earth. Uh, that's going to be really something uh, to get all that figured out, and it can't be figured out by anybody but God. Man can't do it. Even with DNA, man can do it. When I did a study on DNA some years ago, I, I, I realized that you actually can uh, uh, pretty much tell uh, who are Jewish priests by nature of their DNA uh, structure. You could give them a DNA test and say that they were uh, a descendant of the tribe of Levi. Uh, but uh, uh, the reality is, is that when it comes to the full-fledged realities of which uh, Jewish society did operate, and in the kingdom age it will operate to some degree again, 
uh, can't be done, apart from the uh, uniqueness of the rule and, uh, and the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. But two more additional practical benefits to consider in this hour uh, before we prepare ourselves to move on in Matthew chapter 1. First of all, this line of promise and prophecy by way of genealogical record culminates in Jesus as Christ and includes the plan of God to create a people that would live according to his righteousness, not out of obligation, but because of loving inward desire. The genealogy of Jesus not only warrants him as king of the Jews and savior of the world, but it reminds us that a part of God's promise is the creation of a citizenry, of a group of people that will fall under King Jesus, who will not operate righteously because they have to, but will operate righteously because they want to, in dependency upon him, based upon loving desire. This is why the Apostle Paul tells us that in Jesus Christ, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 15. This genealogy serves as a foundation for all we preach about salvation from the condemnation of sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. It serves as a foundation for our understanding that he that hath begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the coming day of Jesus Christ. God's plan, God's program, was not only to highlight his son and to bring into the world King Jesus, King of the Jews and Savior of the world, but to create a people for his namesake, which people we have become by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then the second thing that we see here is that this line of promise and prophecy uh, that culminates in Jesus as Christ includes confirmation of things promised yet to be fulfilled when the Lord returns. I would remind you that our little outline of the three eras is uh, era number one, uh, favor expressed. Era number two, God's faithfulness demonstrated. And era number three, fulfillment begun. And the reason we say begun is because much of what God has promised is yet to be fulfilled. Remember that Matthew not only wrote to demonstrate that Jesus was and is the Christ or the Messiah, but to explain why the coming of the king did not produce the kingdom on earth as God promised it. We meet King Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. And yet as we continue to work our way through uh, the gospel presentation of Matthew, more and more and more we'll understand why the coming of the king did not produce uh, the reality of the kingdom on earth 
as God has indeed promised it. In fact, we are uh, numbered among those individuals on the earth uh, that uh, are uh, particularly aware of the prayer that Jesus gave to us uh, as his disciples. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason we pray that is because we recognize that the kingdom isn't here yet. That while the king came, and we would quickly say, and the king comes, we would say, the kingdom isn't here yet. I mean, if this is the best there is, you got gypped. You've been ripped off. If all there is in this world is what is in this world, not much. Matthew helps us to see as no other gospel writer to grasp the truth of the earthly kingdom delayed. Matthew records with stark language the truth that King Jesus will return in power and great glory to rule and to reign exactly as forecast. The Apostle John summarized the truth saying, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority or permission to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Kingdom, citizenry, kingdom citizenship, by way of registration, is now open. This is open season for kingdom citizen registration. And you may become a child of God, a child of the king, before the kingdom age commences. In fact, that's part of the reason why Jesus taught kingdom citizens to pray, thy kingdom come. Now, in the mystery of all mysteries, God, who has no genealogy whatsoever, as the one ever-existing being, uncreated, Creator, underived God. God has no genealogy. God has no prior lead up to himself. Always was, always will be the ever existing one. God who is forever. We come to understand, by nature of Bible study, also has uh, a forever office that is designated for our understanding as son, and a designated office for our understanding designated as spirit. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Just one God, ever-existing God, Father, Son and Spirit. God has a son. And God has sons. But God has no grandsons. Now I want you to think with that, about that with me for just a minute. God has a capital S son who is God himself in the office of the son. God the son who became our savior. And God has sons 
For the Bible tells us, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But God has no grandsons. You either connect to God directly through God the Son, or you connect to God not at all. There's only one way to the Father, and that is by the Son. And so in the mystery of all mysteries, God, who has no genealogy whatsoever, is the one ever-existing being, set forth God the Son to be made of a woman, made under the law, for the purpose of redemption. God the Son has a human genealogy as the Jewish king of promise. God the Son has a human genealogy as the promised one. This is the way in which God has brought salvation and opportunity to sinful humanity, and that way was by the seed of the woman, when women have no seeds. God's deliverer would be a human male, that saving seed of God must also be the seed of Abraham, or ethnically Jewish. That saving seed of God must also come from the tribe of Judah, not any of the other 11 Jewish tribes of Israel. That saving seed of God must likewise come from the seed of David, the beloved ancient king of Israel. Matthew's genealogy hits upon all these essential markers so that we can logically and rationally connect Jesus to the Jewish throne as the king of promise and prophecy. By dividing the genealogy of Jesus called the Christ into three eras, constituting periods of biblical history, Matthew helps us to first focus upon the era of great divine promise, starting with Abraham's seed and ending with David's son. The second era, starting with Solomon, David's son, and ending with the Babylonian captivity, is what we might call the era of great and continuing human failure, as Israeli sin escalated to the place of being booted. And yet, during that entire period, God was faithful, or as we saw it together in the scripture this morning, yet, God was faithful. But in the third era, starting when Judah was a merely a puppet nation and ending with the birth of Jesus, we have the era of divine pledge refined and the fulfillment of God's pledge begun as centered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul says that every single one of God's promises in the entirety of the B-I-B-L-E, that all of God's promises are yes and amen in one person, Jesus Christ. All hail King Jesus. It's all about the Lord Jesus. And we are those that would bow the knee before our Lord. Father, thank you this morning for the listening ear and for the opportunity to once again point to he who is the light of the world, 
the bread of life, the way and the truth and the life, the door, the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ our Lord. May there always be a hearty welcome in our hearts for King Jesus. May there always be an enthusiasm in our hearts and minds as we gather together to worship King Jesus. Oh, Father, thank you that we get to preach the truth, not only that God is with us, but that God is for us in King Jesus. Bless then these people in response. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.